Well, good morning. Great to see everybody today. As we begin, I want to encourage you to start praying about something that's very important we do every year at this time, our Southwind's Christmas offering. If you've been here uh, in previous years, you know that during Christmas season each year, we provide a number of opportunities for everyone to be able to, to give and to share and make a difference. And our most central opportunity, the most important one we have, is our Christmas offering. Uh, our goal this year is $30,000, and we use this offering in a number of different ways. Uh, we begin each Christmas by uh, using uh, the resources you provide out of your generosity to help meet needs of families in our Southwinds community who have needs at Christmas for all the things that are involving, uh, involved in Christmas time. And then we're able to do similar kinds of things, not only in the Southwinds family, but uh, across our community for the rest of the next year, uh, or at least a good part of the next year, using this offering. In, in addition to that, parts of the, of the gifts that are given through this offering go around the world. We, we give some of this money to our Lottie Moon Christmas offering uh, for international missions, supporting our missionaries in over 130 countries around the world. In addition, this year, we're going to be supporting specific work in two specific countries. The first country is India, and the work will be in the, 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 the I like to say, the small little city of Mumbai, just 21 million people uh, that live there. And we have uh, connections uh, there to the Maharashtra Baptist Society. Uh, some of you are aware of this, and we're going to be providing some of this offering uh, to help with planting churches and also to help with the ministry, a very special ministry they have there where they provide job training for women that helps them escape poverty um, as they hear the gospel in the context of those churches. In addition to that, uh, there's a ministry in Berlin, Germany, that we're going to be supporting through this offering that does a number of things, including a very important ministry to victims of sex trafficking. And so all of these things and, and even some more are involved in this offering. So I'm just letting you know about it. You can begin praying and thinking about what God would have you to do. And I'm praying that as a congregation, uh, this will be our most generous uh, year yet as we uh, take this opportunity uh, to share God's word and spread his love uh, that comes from Christmas. Well, it is Christmas time, and I think uh, you would agree with me that it can be the most wonderful time of the year. I think you would also agree with me that Christmas can be the craziest time of the year, right? Well, this last week, I read about an elderly man in Phoenix who called his son in New York and he said to him, I hate to ruin your day, son, but I have to tell you that your mother and I are divorcing. 45 years of misery is enough. Pop, what are you talking about? The son asked. The old man said, well, we can't stand the sight of each other any longer. We're just sick of each other and I'm sick of talking about this. So you call your sister in Chicago and you tell her. Well, frantically, the son calls his sister and she explodes on the phone to him. Like heck, they're getting divorced. I'll take care of this, she shouts. She calls Phoenix immediately and she screams at her father, you are not getting divorced. I'm calling my brother back and we will both be there tomorrow. And until we get there, you don't dare do a thing. Well, the old man hangs up the phone and he turns to his wife and he says, okay, they're coming for Thanksgiving and they're paying their own way. Now what do we do for Christmas? Well, Christmas can be stressful, amen? 
This, this Christmas season, as we gather in these next few weeks, we're going to be talking and thinking about how God's gift of his son can bring joy into our lives, how it brings joy to the world. And Christmas reminds us that God has so very much he wants to give us. But sometimes, sometimes we miss his blessings in the midst of all the craziness of the season. Today, we're going to talk about surviving Christmas stress. As we uh, enter into that season, we're at the beginning of December. Uh, Christmas can seem to us like the most stressful time of the year. And I just wonder, is there anybody here, you're already stressed out? You know, family, money, gifts, decorations, all the stuff that you're going to do. And I just want to remind us this morning that God wants us to know his peace, even during a season of stress. Peace is at the heart of Christmas. In fact, it's why Jesus came. You remember the prophecy, the very familiar words from the prophet Isaiah when he prophesied Messiah's coming. He said, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince, peace. And then on that night, Jesus was born. Do you remember what the angels sang? Luke 2, 13 and 14 gives us these words. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. Jesus came to bring us peace. And God calls us through his word this season to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. He calls us to be a peace-filled people. We don't live in a world that promotes much peace, do we? We don't live in a world that tends to produce peace-filled people. We live in a world filled with stress. I read a number of things this last week. There was a study done just this last year that concluded that over 60 million adults in America report extreme stress. They report that money and work are the highest sources of stress. I read that the average worker has 36 hours of work on their desk and they spend three hours a week just sorting out the piles. How about this? The average middle manager gets interrupted 73 times a day. Some of you think that sounds like a really good day. Office workers spend 4.1 hours daily checking work email or 20 and a half hours each week which kind of spins out to, are you ready for this, five and one-third years of your life over a career. Consumer debt, uh, that's now in our country north of 12 trillion. That's with a T. And of course, we know that Christmas often brings us additional stress in this area because of all the money that we spend. I read that in our country today, more than 40 million people experience various anxiety disorders. I read that uh, 70 million people have some kind of sleep disorder. And we live in this kind of crazy time that even when we can sleep, we often find ourselves choosing not to sleep. Do you know that in 1850, the average American got nine and a half hours of sleep a night? It's now seven and it's dropping As a result of all of these factors of stress, exhaustion really is epidemic in our society. There was a Newsweek cover story a number of years ago called Exhaustion. This story quoted a mother of four in Illinois, and this really amazed me. She said, I am so tired, my idea of a vacation is a trip to the dentist. I just can't wait to sit in that chair and relax. (laughs) Now, I just want to submit 
that when society has reached the point where people start looking forward to getting their gums scraped (laughs) and their teeth drilled as a regenerating activity, something maybe has gone wrong. Now this year, everybody knows it, I don't really need to remind us too much, but one of the greatest sources of stress has been the election. And I've read a number of articles over the last few months Time Magazine and other sources that, that cite therapists who are, who are treating people and talking about just this level of anxiety that's gone way up because of the election. And actually, some people took extreme measures trying to get away from the stress. This actually happened. A real obituary in a Virginia newspaper. This is what it read. Not making this up. Faced with the prospect of voting for either Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton, Marianne Noland of Richmond chose instead to pass into the eternal love of God on Sunday, May 15th. Some of you are going, I didn't even know that was on the ballot. Well, now we enter the Christmas season. And at this time of year, we try to remember the coming of the Prince of Peace, I mean, it's on all our Christmas cards. That's the one word on more cards than any others, the word peace. But the reality is so many times for so many people, it's the most frenzied and rushed and exhausting season of all. And doesn't it seem like it starts earlier and lasts longer every year? Just this marathon of decorating and shopping and traveling and wrapping and eating and returning and mailing and the pressure, it just increases. We need to be reminded as we enter the Christmas season that for 2,000 years now, part of the rhythm of the life of God's people, the church, has been this season of Advent to remember and to prepare to celebrate the coming of the Prince of Peace. It was a way to remember that salvation is not primarily about my frantic efforts. It's primarily what God has done. See, stress just as a part of life. We live in a broken, fallen world, and stress will always be with us. And so the real question that we have to ask is, how do we survive stress? And to help with that, I want to turn our attention this morning to some very familiar words of Scripture, Psalm 23. I want to read the entire psalm, and then we're going to go back and look at some of the verses and ask some questions about what it's saying to us. But listen to the word of the Lord. David writes, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, I want us just to go back, and I want you to read with me out loud the first three verses. And we'll read them kind of slowly, and we'll read them peacefully. Read with me. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. I want to walk through those lines 
And I want to ask a question about each one of them. And in each of these questions, we're going to see four choice points for surviving Christmas stress. And as we look at those choice points, choices you can make, we're going to talk about the alternative to making this choice. And then we're going to see an action step that enables us to apply this choice that pushes us towards surviving Christmas stress. Here's the first choice point. It's this question. Am I putting my life in God's hands? Am I putting my life in God's hands? This comes from David's words in verse one. The Lord is my shepherd. And there's a real basic decision involved here. A sheep just belongs to the shepherd. Shepherds make marks on sheep to say, this is my sheep. And the sheep follows the shepherd. I just want to ask this question. I just want you to hear it. And I want you to think about it seriously. Do you ask God each day to shepherd you? You know these words by heart, but do you live them in your life? Do you ask God each day to shepherd you? Because the alternative to doing this is really, really clear. It is to say, I have no shepherd. And therefore, it is to say, I have the persistent worry of knowing I'm on my own, that I will face life's ultimate issues on my own. You see, life without a shepherd is a life of persistent worry, worry about the future, about my children, about my job, about my health, about whatever crisis I am in. It's all worry, all the time. And it's kind of an odd thing. I mean, think about this. How many of you worry? And if you're honest, we'll all say me. But how many of us have discovered that worry is actually, in fact, a constructive and life-giving and healthy way to live our lives that makes our lives so much better? We, we know that it isn't, don't we? We know it chokes the life out of us. We just keep worrying all the time. Psalm 23 reminds us there is another way to do life, and that is to live our lives in the constant care and protection of the shepherd. And David understood shepherds because he was a shepherd, and David knew that the fate of sheep depends on the shepherd. A few years ago, a man named Philip Keller was a 20th century shepherd, and he wrote a book, a great book about the 23rd Psalm, and it was based on his observations of sheep. And one of the things he wrote was this. He said, sheep do not just take care of themselves. Sheep require more attention and meticulous care than any other class of livestock. And this is a very nice way of saying that sheep are kind of stupid. <laughs> and therefore, they need a shepherd. Uh, not too long ago, I saw a video that I want to share with you that just makes this point so well. I think you'll enjoy it. I love that last part right there. That dog, I think, is kind of embarrassed for the sheep, you know. <laughs> well, we're sheep, and sometimes we do stupid stuff, right? You ever found yourself in a hole like that you couldn't get out of and you put yourself there? See, the Bible tells us that the good shepherd is always thinking about his sheep. He's always watching out for them. He's always guiding them and caring for them, looking out for their needs. And God wants to do that for you. See, if you want to live in the shepherd's care this week, if you want to know the reality of the shepherd of the universe, the God of the universe, watching out and providing for you, then here's the action step I would offer to you. And it's in this area. It's simply ask. Just ask. James 4.2 says, you do not have because you do not ask God. 
Are you living in stress? And mainly it's because you're not placing yourself in the shepherd's hands. Mainly it's because you're not asking for his peace. Just ask. Paul writes these familiar words in Philippians 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, notice what he says here. He says, the Lord is near. The shepherd never leaves, never forsakes his sheep. The Lord is near. He wants to give us his peace, and he gives us his peace when we Instead of worrying, pray. We just ask. We present our request to him. We, we pray, pray about everything, and therefore we don't need to worry about anything. And so this week, whenever you feel inclined to worry, and you will, stop. And before you give in to ceaseless worry, stop and remember the shepherd is near. He's right there. Instead of worrying, you can make this week an adventure in asking. What are you worried about? Will you bring it to God? Will you ask him to meet your need? God, I'm worried about my kids. Will you protect them? God, I need strength to do the work that you've called me to do. God, I have a difficult decision to make, and if I make it wrong, it's going to turn out really badly. Bad things will happen. God, give me wisdom. God, I need healing. God, I don't know how I'm going to make it through this Christmas season. I need your strength. Will you give me your strength? You see, this week, you can ask. You can turn your worry into prayer. And I want to guarantee you on the the basis of God's word that the Lord is near. He will be your shepherd. He will provide what you need. David says, the Lord is my shepherd. Am I placing myself in God's hands? And then there's a second choice point. Am I deciding to live with joy and contentment? David makes a really remarkable statement. Again, in verse one, he says, I shall not be in want. Now, the language here is a bit archaic, but the idea is very remarkable. The idea is that because the Lord is a good shepherd who cares and provides for me, because of that, I can go through life as a joyful, grateful, contented person. But it's a choice. It doesn't just happen. I have to choose to live this way. And if I don't choose to live this way, the alternative is is chronic discontentment, insatiable desire, the never-ending quest for satisfaction. And and I hope you realize we live in a world that just creates these kind of people. In, In many respects, we in America live in an economy and in a society that is built on the production of insatiable, never ending desire. Some of the smartest people in our society, they they devote most of their working hours thinking of ways to convince you of two things. Number one, that you are or you should be discontent. And number two, that contentment is just one purchase away. I mean, just turn on the TV. Look at the roadside billboards or the online ads. There are a thousand products that are crying out at you every day. Use me, buy me, eat me, wear me, test me, try me, drive me, put me in your hair. 
They tell us, you will be happy if, if you have a bigger house, a newer car, a higher income, better clothes, whiter teeth, fresher breath, or a sleeker body. You know, the, the discontent that is promoted about your body alone is staggering. I mean, think about it. You are told that you need abs of iron. You need other parts of steel. You need a, a flatter stomach, sleeker thighs, bigger shoulders. They tell us you would be happy if only, if only you were just a little larger in the northern hemisphere and a little smaller around the equator. I mean, you can hardly turn on television without finding infomercials for machines that will do all of this for us. But the most powerful treadmill of all is that treadmill of desire and discontent because you can get on that treadmill and you can run as fast as you can for as long as you want, but you're never going to find contentment. Not on that treadmill. Just when it looks like you're getting close, it moves a little farther and you will run harder, you will run faster, you will run longer, and you will wear yourself out and you will never get anywhere. This is just our world. And it gets worse, exponentially worse at Christmas. I mean, all the malls we go to shop in and the places we go to see stuff, either at a store or online, to see stuff that now we know it exists, now we know we must have it. Any of you ever notice how when you get, go shopping for other people, you end up finding stuff you really, really need? <laughs> Any of you here go shopping for other people and what you end up coming back with is stuff for you? Feel free to point out that person because they're sitting next to you. <laughs> this just reminds us there is another way to do life. There is a shepherd who knows what you need and what you don't need, who knows what's good for you, who knows better than you do what's bad for you. Will you put your life in his hands? Will you choose to live enjoying contentment? Let me offer you an action step for this. It's simplify. Anyone here ever find your life is so cluttered up with stuff, cluttered up with activity? Ever wonder what your life would look like if instead of this endless chase for what should I buy and what should I wear and what should I change and what will bring me satisfaction, instead you just simplified and you just said, God, I'm just a sheep and you're my shepherd. I shall not want. I will not go through life in an endless frenzy of activity and buying and achieving, somehow hoping that all of this will bring me soul satisfaction. What if you decided to live simply? Some of you need to go home and go through your closets and find clutter and give it away. Go through your rooms, go through your garage, find clutter, get rid of it. Go through your calendar, find clutter, get rid of it. Some of you are cluttered with financial commitments and they are choking you. You're making payments you can't afford for things you don't need. Get rid of them, simplify. Learn the joy of giving. You know, there are some of you who want to give. You, you want to reach the end of your life and be able to look back and know that you were a generous person. But right now, truth is, you're so bound up by debt that you can't. Will you start working to simplify in that area, get rid of it? David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And I am just telling you, in a world of chronic discontentment, to go through life in contentment, not wanting, would just be an oasis of sanity. 
but it's going to take a different way of life. You're going to have to choose. Here's the third choice point. Am I incorporating downtime in my life? David writes, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Doesn't that sound good? God wants us to have downtime. And and the alternative to this is is frantic overcommitment. This is usually to activities and tasks rather than people, and we'll talk more about that in a moment. But maybe you notice David uses some very interesting, very suggestive language here. He says that the good shepherd makes me lie down. Any of you ever seen a kid who desperately needed rest, but who didn't want to go to sleep? (laughs) Sheep are kind of like that, and so are adults sometimes. Sometimes sheep won't lie down to rest even when they need it. Now, with sheep, there's generally a cause behind their restlessness. Uh, Philip Keller writes, there are several conditions under which a sheep will not lie down. Uh, They are really timid creatures. As long as they're afraid, they won't lie down. They won't risk resting. He says, because they're social creatures, sometimes there's tension in the flock. Two sheep are butting heads about who gets to be higher on the pecking order, and they won't lie, lie down then and rest. Because they're creatures of appetite, if they're hungry, they won't lie down. See, they won't lie down until they're free of fear, free from friction, free from hunger, kind of a lot like us. Some of you are afraid of the future, and it's robbing you of rest. Some of you are in relational conflict, and the the tension is exhausting you. Some of you are hungry for love or intimacy or success, and it's just leading you into frantic activity. Keller writes that the presence of the shepherd is what gives the sheep assurance to rest. And when there's a really good shepherd, the sheep realize that they have nothing to fear because someone is protecting them. He says sheep grow quite confident in the presence of a good shepherd. Remember what Paul said? The Lord is near. The Lord is near. David says, I have a shepherd like that. He says, so even though I know I live in a world where real bad things happen, I can live with confidence. Keller says that sheep sometimes get in fights. But he said it's interesting. When the shepherd is around, the foolishness stops. See, in the presence of the shepherd, I can talk about my relational conflicts, and he brings me peace. And when I come to the shepherd and I say to him, I am empty, I am lonely, I'm feeling unloved, he says, let me satisfy your hunger. Remain with me for a while. I will fill your heart. See, this means that wherever you are, you are in the presence of the good shepherd. It means that even difficult times and places can become a green pasture to restore your soul. Maybe you should think about that this next week. Whatever's going on in your life each day, wherever you are, whatever's happening, it can become in that moment a green pasture, a place of rest that restores your soul. And you can even start resting right now. In fact, that's the third action step. Rest. Rest. Some of you, you look a little tense right now. Maybe you just need to kind of breathe out and let the tension flow away out of your shoulder blades. Maybe you just need to rest. Maybe you need to look at the person next to you and say, just relax, chill out, buddy, just rest. 
And this week, it's possible you can, if you choose to, remember that the good shepherd is with you and therefore you can rest in him. You really can. Psalm 127.2 says, In vain you rise up early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. See, work and achievement are good, but if you do those things in a frantic way that robs you of rest, the Bible says it's in vain. Another psalm, Psalm 4 in verse 8 says, I will lie down and sleep in peace. For you alone, O Lord, make me lie down in safety. Just think about sleep. What would your life be like if you got enough sleep this whole next week? What kind of person would you be if you were rested all week? It really can actually happen. But you need to do some things differently. There's a doctor by the name of Meyer Freeman who's worked a lot with people who struggle with frantic activity. One of his suggestions uh, to help is, he says, at your business, uh, schedule one or two appointments with non-existent people. He says, they'll probably be (laughs) no-shows. He says, and then you can just rest. His point is, you'll have to rearrange your calendar some. You'll have to get creative with it. You'll have to choose to rest. Rest doesn't happen by accident, but you can choose. You really can go through life as a rested person. I want to talk about something in this this area of commitments because uh, one of the most important ways of surviving stress is through good, healthy relationships. Now, you've heard me talk about this before, and you're going to hear me talk about it in the future, but it just amazes me how people will allow busyness and stress to cause them to live in social and relational isolation, which really in the end is death. There's a very famous book called Bullying Alone by a Harvard sociologist named Robert Putnam, and he writes this, researchers have found that relationally isolated people are three times more likely to die than relationally connected people. He writes, the single most significant thing you can do to prolong your life expectancy is to join a small group. You heard me say it before. That's our motto for our small groups. Join a small group or die. (laughs) But you know, the truth is, if deep relationships are important to your physical health, how much more indispensable are they to your spiritual health? See, around here, Southwinds, our our best shot for making this happen is through small groups. And it's an amazing thing to me. I I talk to people all the time, almost every week, conversations with people who have issues in their lives, struggles in their lives. They need guidance about their vocation, or maybe they have some real nasty relationship issue they're going through, or maybe they're, they're struggling with some sin, or they've gone through some loss and they need help. And I always ask them the question, are you in a small group? And more often than not, people will say, well, no. And I'll Ask them why. And more often than not, they'll tell me, you want to guess? I'm too busy. Or I tried once. And I'll tell them with love, try again. Because the truth is, nobody can follow Jesus alone. We all need each other. Here's the fourth choice point. Am I turning down the volume in my life? And David writes in verse 2, he leads me beside quiet waters. 
There's something very interesting about this for sheep. Sheep get real nervous around noisy, fast-running water, and there's a reason for that. If they get pushed in or if they fall in uh, to fast-running water, it's trouble because the wool will saturate, get saturated by the water, get real heavy, they'll get dragged down, and they'll drown in the current. Sheep need water that is still quiet. So do we as people. We need quiet, but we don't live in a quiet world, do we? You ever get tired of noise? If you get tired of noise, why don't you say yes really loudly right now? See, where do you go today to get away from noise? You know, it doesn't matter. It seems like wherever we go, the doctor's office, stores, elevators, cars, we're surrounded by noise. And we all complain about it. But here's the thing. We're the noisiest culture in history of the world. But even when, even when we get the chance to escape the noise, we don't because we're addicted to it. We don't like silence, some of us, because silence makes me face what's in my heart and life. Silence makes me confront what there is between me and God. And there are some of us who don't want to go there. And so we keep turning the noise up because it's easier to live that way. Well, this is a sign of the alternative, and that is a disordered heart. I mean, think about this. This happens in a lot of ways. One of the most common is people go home and they turn on the TV as soon as they walk in the door, even if they're not going to watch it. It's a very interesting thing. There's a survey done that asks people, why do you watch TV? Why do you have the TV on in your home all the time? Anyone here want to guess what the number one answer they gave for having the TV on all the time? Noise. Like we don't get enough noise already. And so we have to go home Turn on the TV to get some more. I want to say a few words about electronic noise, TV in particular. No one admits to it, but it dominates our lives. 66% of Americans regularly watch TV while eating dinner. Some of you aren't aware of this, but there was actually a time when families had really nothing else to do so that they actually sat and ate and talked with each other at dinner. This this is an amazing thing. I read a New York Times article, came out earlier this year, and it said that the average American watches, are you ready for this, five hours and four minutes a day. As a pastor, I will observe here, no one ever admits to that. I've never met a person who watches that much TV, but evidently they're all out there somewhere else besides my church. Five hours and four minutes a day, multiply that out across their lives. That is equal, are you ready to this, of 15 solid years of nonstop TV watching if you live to the age of 72. Now think about that. When you get to be 72, do you want to look back on your life and say, I spent 15 years watching TV? Do you? Here's an amazing thing. The average six-year-old has spent more hours watching TV than they will spend speaking to their father over their entire lives. Now, how many people, think about it, become parents saying, my goal is to have my child over the next six years hear more words from a screen than they will hear from their father until he goes to the grave. And let's be honest, it's not just TV anymore. It's It's our devices. It's our screens, right? 
It's all the media we consume, whether it's TV or surfing the, the web on a computer or a tablet or playing an app on your phone or listening to the radio or playing, playing video games of some kind. Nielsen said that in 2016, this year, the average American spends 10 hours and 39 minutes a day consuming media. That's reality, and you tell me that's not insane. And I would say that the real damage done by our devices isn't because of what happens on our screens, but more because of what does not happen because we're staring at our screens. Listen to this. Some people check their phones 150 times a day. Some of us, won't name anybody here, you know who you are, go to sleep with our phones by our beds. And the first thing we do each morning is we pick our phone up and we check our phones as we look at it and stroke it and say, my precious. (laughs) And then this is actually a documented reality. There are some people who get anxious if we're away from our phones for just a few minutes. We start going into withdrawal. And as a result, people don't spend time in relationship. They don't spend time talking or spend time connecting. They don't spend time loving. They don't spend time doing the things that God actually created us to do. Families' lives can revolve around TV, and they don't even realize it. There was a family specialist named Dolores Curran who was working with a family, and she asked them over a period of time to write down the phrases that they most used with each other. And when they finished doing this, this family was shocked to discover that the two phrases they used most were, what's on and move. The words spoken most frequently were not, I love you, not how are you, not what was your day like. They were, what's on and move. And one of the ironies of this, and you know this is true, is that we often consume media because we're tired, because we just want to relax. We just want to collapse for a while. Have you ever asked yourself the question, does doing that restore you? I mean, when was the last time that you woke up saying, you know, last night, I sat in front of the TV from the time I got home until I went to sleep, all the way from Lester Holt to Jimmy Fallon. Or when was the last time you said, you know, last night I held my phone or my tablet and I looked at YouTube cat videos or I played Angry Birds all night long and today I feel so rejuvenated, I feel so energized, I'm so glad I invested my evening that way. When was the last time? It doesn't happen, does it? And it's so ironic. Have you ever thought about this? Just take TV, just TV. You watch TV, and as you watch TV, you see people in TV engaged in every activity under the sun, people at war, committing crimes, working, playing, eating together, loving each other, hating each other. What's the one thing you never see people on TV doing? Watching TV. Why not? Because it's boring to watch people watching TV. You don't believe it? Next time there's a TV on someplace, just step back. Don't watch TV. You watch the people watching TV, and you will find rest for your soul. (laughs) See, when you're watching TV, when you're watching any other device, you're not relating, you're not caring, you're not growing, you're not learning. You're watching life instead of living life. 
And I'm really serious about this. It's time, I think, for many of us to declare war in this area. Here's the action step on this fourth choice point. Be still. And I'm going to get real specific about this. Between now and next Sunday, when we gather again, I want to challenge you. You can do it or not. It's up to you. It's not a legalism or anything like that. It's a challenge. I want to challenge you this next week not to watch any TV at all. No Oprah, no Jimmy, no CNN, no soaps, no ESPN, just cold turkey, unplugged, just let it be silent. Now, I hear and I feel the uncertainty that's kind of rumbling around the room right now. Some of you are thinking right now, hey, I don't think that's in the Bible, Pastor Mike. Can you really say that? I don't know. Some of you are kind of starting to hold on to your chest, maybe have a little bit of pain right now. And I just want to say, if just the thought of this causes you to feel pains of withdrawal, maybe, maybe you just need to consider turning it off for one or two days. Maybe you need to start slowly and kind of work into it. Maybe you only watch the news and nothing else. But find a way to be still. Some of you have already thought, okay, I'll turn off the TV, but you are already figuring out other ways you can watch your tablet or your phone. <laughs> So you can't fool me. I've been your pastor for too long. (laughs) Now, for some of us, it's not TV. It's another form of media. It's another screen. But whatever it is, would you consider taking a serious break from it and being still? For centuries, Christ's followers who have been serious about pursuing spiritual life, have engaged in a practice that Jesus talks about. It's called fasting. And usually in the Bible, it's fasting for food. But I wonder if Jesus were alive today, that he might, just might talk about a need for another fast, an electronic fast, just to abstain from noise for a while. And that's really what I'm inviting you to do, to make that choice to be still, to practice being still. Maybe tomorrow, some of you, when you're in the car, instead of cranking the radio up and just letting it play, maybe you can just allow there to be silence for the day. And I want to tell you, if you've never done that before, you will be uncomfortable at first, but you can know that the Lord is near. God will be there. The shepherd is always with us. And maybe if you learn to practice silence, learn to be still, Maybe you'll hear the shepherd speak. See, God wants to give you peace and have you know his joy. God wants to shepherd you so very much that he sent his only son, Jesus, to this earth to teach us another way to live. Remember when Jesus said, come, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. In other words, I'm going to teach you another way to live. And Jesus was so serious about this that as he was thinking about how to describe his concern for the human race, he said one time, I am the good shepherd. That's the metaphor he used, surely with David's words in his mind. He said, here's how you know the good shepherd. When a threat comes, when a bear or a lion attacks and comes to the flock, a hireling will just run away and abandon. But the good shepherd will lay down his life for the sheep. Jesus Christ loves you so much that he laid his life down just for you. He went to the cross just for you. That's how badly he wants to shepherd you. See, the real question is, will you let him do it? 
you can make this week an adventure in being shepherded. This week, you can ask him to be your shepherd instead of worry. This week, you can simplify your life instead of just wallowing in chronic discontent. This week, you can rest instead of always running in frantic activity. This week, you can turn off the noise and be still and know that as you do that, the good shepherd will become more real, more real to you than he ever has before. And your soul will begin to be restored. You can survive Christmas stress if you choose to live with the Lord as your shepherd. Will you make that choice this week? Will you do what God says? This is the word of the Lord. I want to ask you now if you would bow your heads and we're going to pray. Father God, you are our shepherd and we thank you for that reality today. Lord, we know that you love us so much you sent your only son Jesus to die for us so that we might be forgiven, so that we might cease the endless striving in our lives, always trying to prove ourselves, always trying to show that we are worthy and instead, Father, just resting in you, knowing that you are worthy and that you are all we need. Lord, we trust you as we confess our needs to you to provide for everything. And we ask you to give us peace. Lord, out of that peace, we ask you to help us know your joy. Lord, we pray all of these things now in the name of your Son, Jesus our Lord, and all of God's people together say, Amen.